You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. Let's do it. You've given me little things here and there. Well, we've never all in one show dedicated to 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 you so that we're kind of turning the tables a little bit what made you get into real estate investing in the first place yeah so i mean like anybody else i always wanted financial freedom i grew up in a like middle class some maybe say like low middle class family and uh and where where i was down in florida is where i grew up south florida miami uh west palm between those two but uh mainly in miami and uh you know, real estate was big down there, obviously still is. And I just saw like everywhere around me, a lot of successful people where, which were where I wanted to be, got there through real estate. So financial freedom was a big reason. I think anyone looks at real estate for passive income and whatnot. The second thing would be that when I was started, you know, really reading and getting educated and getting knowledge about wealth building and financial success and investing, I kept seeing the same thing over and over again. I kept seeing this reiterated theme of real estate being like the backbone of becoming a millionaire and the backbone of becoming financially successful. And the statistic that I've heard then and keep hearing now is like, I don't know, 90% of millionaires got there through real estate, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it's more than that, but it was something along those lines. So I knew that that was somewhere that I needed to head. That was somewhere the way I needed to go. And then something that really made a big impact on me is my uncle Al, may he rest in peace. He's no longer with us, but he got into real estate. My mom's brother got into real estate in the early 2000s in Miami. So like 2001, 2002, he started in real estate. It was when like the boom was just boiling up. Okay. He got into real estate. He was crushing it. And of everyone in my family, he was the one I saw as the most financially successful um, had a nice house on the water mm-hmm. and all the all the toys that everyone would want. Oh. And I saw him get there as a real estate agent, as a real estate professional. He owned a couple properties too, but I just saw that real estate again resonating, coming up again. And I'm like, okay, I gotta somehow get involved, but I'm young, you know. At the time, I mean, I'm talking about my thoughts when I'm 14, 15, 16 years wow, old. Wow, you like, are young. very Holy young. Cow. A lot of people aren't thinking about that, but I knew I wanted to graduate from the middle class lifestyle to getting where I wanted to be. I didn't want to worry about money when I would ask my parents for something and they'd say, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know if we can afford that. Like it gave me the worst pit in my stomach. And I always remember saying, like, I never want to hear that again. When I'm old enough, I'm never going to want to tell my kids that I'm never going to want to have to have that shame to say, no, we can't afford this item that's five hundred dollars eight hundred dollars thinking back those are what we're talking about are these like i guess they're expensive when you're little or you're a kid but in actuality you know if you're financially secure you should be able to spend five hundred or a thousand dollars without going into debt right so i knew that i wanted to change that and between all those things it's just i knew that there had to be some way for me to get into it i just didn't know how tell us about your how you found your first real estate investment All right. So I had been in the mortgage industry for a couple years. I got in the mortgage industry, you know, while I was in college, really, in like, oh, three, oh, four, I started dabbling in mortgage. So I bought my first property in 2007. So after being in the mortgage industry for a couple years, I had helped at that point, literally like hundreds of people Mm -hmm. 
with buying homes and refinancing. Uh, so I saw like average Joes with multiple properties. I saw people that maybe only made 40 or 50,000 a year at their job, but they owned a home worth half a million dollars or more. I'm like, okay, wow, that that's cool. How did they get there? Mm -hmm. What did they do? And I knew from a professional standpoint, if I wanted to keep advising people and really go to the next level, I needed to practice what I preach. Even though I was young, I needed to get that first property under my belt. So when I advise someone on buying, selling, or financing, I have been through the process myself as the borrower, as the homeowner. So that's why I wanted to do it. What happened was I, while I was finishing up college, I had done a loan for a friend of mine named Jimmy. And Jimmy it was a real estate investor. He was the youngest real estate investor I knew. The guy was like, at the time, probably 22 years old. And he had four properties at 22 years old. And you would see this guy and not know anything different from him at all, of anybody else. You wouldn't know he has all this money, all these properties. Long story short, he came to me for a loan. I had done some business with him. He was buying a property in North Carolina. At that time, I was licensed in North Carolina. And I was going through the loan process with him to get him to buy this property. And I was looking at the appraisal like I do all the time. And I saw what he was paying in North Carolina for a brand new, gorgeous home. I mean, huge property, like over 3,000 square feet, multiple acres, wooded backyard, very private, brand new, never been lived in, like a four bed, three bath, the nice uh, you know, front porch and just everything that you would want in a dream home. And I saw him buying this property for like 200,000. I was like, uh -huh. oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I had been doing business in Connecticut and Florida and these other areas that were so expensive where those homes would be four or 500,000 back then, now even more. Right. But back then it was even gonna be uh, more than that. So I was like, that seems like a great place to buy a property. You know, uh, I can work from home. Even back then, you know, in the mortgage industry, we were able to work remotely. I needed to reestablish myself having graduated college and kind of like get a home base. So I decided, let me look at buying a property in North Carolina. This is right when the market was starting to really dive. We're talking about 2006, early 07. The real estate market was not doing well. So I knew there was a great opportunity to get a property at a really, really good price. And Jimmy ended up, he had his real estate license. So he actually ended up helping me. He knew the market. He helped me do all the negotiations with the builders. He took me under his wing. He really got aggressive with it. We ended up getting this property for $40,000 under what the builder had it listed for because it was a distressed sale. It was a, a home they had built, brand new, custom for a family. Because of the recession we were getting in, there was an issue with the, uh, the, the job of the person that was buying it. Something happened where the deal just blew up. They had this custom built home sitting there, nobody living in it. And again, time, the timing is important. This is not 2022 we're talking here. This is 07. Nobody wanted to buy homes. The real estate market was crashing immensely. So the builder got scared and we made them an offer they couldn't refuse. It got the property off their books. And, uh, you know, the, I remember the minute I walked in that property and I breathed in, I smelled the smell and looked around and saw all the newness of the carpet. The cabinets, I said, this is the house. Did you finance it or did you buy it in cash? Oh, finance yeah. it, absolutely. I did a 5% down on that property. What was the market in the, in the economy like when you, when you bought your first property? Because you, you keep talking about the housing market and the crash and, and so on the, and so forth. The market, forth, 07. there was blood in the streets. That's how I would say the market <laughs> okay. was. Like The market had been ramped up from you know early 2000s to like 05, 06. And in 06 is when we started to see the cracks in the real estate market. So what ended up happening was... 
that nobody wanted to buy homes. It created this influx of properties on the market. People were trying to get out before the prices dived even more. Builders had built more than they should have, more than they needed to. So there was this glut of properties, which for a buyer, you know, is huge opportunity. And I knew I was, you know, still only a couple years in the mortgage and real estate field. You know, wow. I knew all this stuff was going on and I was looking at how can I capitalize because I needed a place to live. Why would I rent when I could own? And the price was a lot cheaper to own and I could start building that portfolio. Um, what I'll tell you too is that, you know, the real estate crash, it was scary to buy. It wasn't an easy thing, even for me to just go in and buy because we didn't know how much it was going to go down. It actually, as we'll talk about it, ended up going down even quite a bit further than when I bought. So hindsight 2020, maybe I would have gone and waited another six to 12 months and gotten another 20 or 30 grand off that property. But I'm glad I bought when I did because now it's come full circle. The property's almost doubled in value from 07 to now. Well, then, all right, then talk about after you bought the property then. What, what kind of challenges did you face then? Yeah, so I definitely faced a lot of challenges because what happened was, number one, the real estate market and the mortgage market was pretty much imploded at mm. that point of 07, 08. I mean, if you look back, look what mortgage rates were doing. Look what the housing market was doing. I had bought the property financially in a smart way because I knew that I could keep that property. I could support that property, even if I only had a very low production in my mortgage in, in my mortgage business. I only needed to help a few clients a month in order to maintain and not be in foreclosure or not be in a bad financial circumstance. So I felt solid from that standpoint. But my business kept going down because people didn't want to buy homes. The rates were high. People didn't want to refinance. Uh, the cash out opportunities were very low because the property values were going down so quickly. We didn't even know what some homes were worth. Appraisals were coming back low. It was just, it was a nightmare. So that was very difficult. The other thing was that I really ran, I mean, I tried to ramp up from the standpoint of finding new clients and creating relationships. So about a year after I bought that house, I ended up unexpectedly moving to Connecticut. And I say unexpectedly because that was not my plan initially. It was, that was what I needed to do to expand my business. And I was concerned, will I be able to rent this property? What are my options? Can I afford, you know, this property down in North Carolina and having another property up in Connecticut to rent or whatnot? What am I going to do? So it was definitely, it was definitely challenging. There's no doubt. The other thing was that I wanted to expand my real estate portfolio. I knew that with all this blood in the streets, mm -hmm. I knew I could buy a bunch of other properties. Like, it was a great idea, but I was scared because, number one, I was starting, still new, I should say, in my career. I was moving, so I'm like, where would I buy a property? How would I manage it? Like, I have too much going on with my business. It's not going to work. And so that was a big thing, but I didn't know because of the distance and all those challenges how I would go about doing that. So sure. those are the challenges I faced there. If I remember correctly, you told me this a while back, um, there was a pretty big gap between the time that you bought your first property and your second property. Why, did, why didn't you buy your second property right away? Well, yeah, as I was just alluding to, I mean, buying that second property because of the timing of it, not only with the market, but on a personal level, it was a difficult time for me because I was in between like areas that I was going to live and I didn't want to buy a property somewhere that was going to be so far away. How would I manage it? Like I said, it was a, a big question mark that I ended up finding the answer to. And ultimately I, I was able to, but it was just really difficult to think about that then because there was so much negativity. There was so much pessimism around real estate. Mm. Nobody wanted to buy, but 
you know, I think Warren Buffett says, like, the time to buy is when there's blood in the streets. There was blood in the streets, as I've said multiple times, at that point in the real estate market. If I could do it all over again, I might have done it differently, maybe would have picked up properties. But you can't only buy a house based on a good investment. You also have to buy a property based on your circumstance. Can you handle it? Financially, does it work? Does it fit into your long-term plan? And because I was in flux uh, from a location standpoint with my business and all these uncertain things, I decided it would be best just to kind of step back a little bit. Uh, and But that's actually what ended up leading me to how I ended up real estate and doing some other investing. What strategies then did you end up using to build your real estate portfolio while being remote? Yeah, so this was this was a paradigm shift for me. This was the light bulb that went off. It was around, you know, 2009, 2010. Okay, so a couple years after I bought that first property and I had the urge to buy another, but I didn't know how to go about it, where, and all these variables. So as always, I'm doing research and I'm looking at articles and anything I saw online about real estate, investing, mortgage, finance, I'd be looking at it, right? Because that's my expertise. That's what I want to do. So I read an article in Forbes that talked about an emerging industry called real estate crowdfunding. It's what they used to refer to in the old days as a real estate syndication. And what it really entails is it's all about getting properties and instead of one person investing, it's a group of people. So instead of you being the buyer, they have 100 people that'll buy it together. Then you have to put in less money. So that was a big piece of it. Um, I know everyone's thinking, well, what about that house in North Carolina? What happened to that? Well, I quickly found that there are property managers out there that'll manage the whole property. They'll find tenants. They'll do the maintenance and everything. And they'll do that for a very small fee. In my case, it was like 10% of the rent wow. that they would charge to do that. So Great. I left that property in North Carolina, and between when I left and went back, it was five years, okay? Five years, I didn't set foot in that property, and it was completely managed professionally for me. Multiple tenants coming in and out. Rent was never missed. Repairs were made. The property was in tip-top shape, and it was because I found a great property manager that was able to manage that for me remotely. But... I found when, you know, this real estate crowdfunding idea, this syndication idea really resonated yeah. with me because instead of buying one property, I could take that same chunk of money and buy multiple properties, which gave me diversification. It gave me just a big hedge against risk. It gave me multiple streams of income. So rather than buying one property, I kind of pivoted a little bit here and I said, let me really dive into this syndication stuff as well as real estate investment trusts, which are another uh, kind of like a high-level way to syndicate real estate are investing in these investment trusts. And I've heard you you just use this term a moment ago. Right? So there's there's real estate syndications, there's crowdfunding. Talk about passive real estate investing and 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 as well as the real estate syndication and crowdfunding. Right. So real estate syndications, like I said, that's the old way of doing real estate crowdfunding. So if you go back even to like the 80s and 90s, there'd be a real estate syndication, which would be, let's say, a $100 million apartment building, right? So instead of getting $100 million from one person, they would get a million dollars from 100 different people and buy that building. Then everyone shares in those profits. Everyone shares in the income and whatnot. So I know that sounds crazy, but let's bring it down to like the layman's level. When you go from syndication into real estate crowdfunding, using the internet, using technology, we're talking about scenarios where you can invest with even sometimes five hundred or a thousand dollars today. Back when I started, the average was between five and ten thousand dollars 
per deal that you were getting involved in. So can you buy a house with $5,000? Probably not. Can you buy an apartment building with five or $10,000? Absolutely not. So this real estate crowdfunding was the only way I could get involved with these huge multi-million dollar deals was by putting five and $10,000, little bit here, little bit there into these deals to the point where now I've been involved in well over a hundred of these syndications, uh, these crowdfunding deals in my career. And I'm putting new ones in all the time as we'll talk about. But one of the reasons why I love it versus just a regular property, buying one house or buying a two or three unit house is it's completely passive. You are not talking to tenants. You are not dealing with repairs. You get a report every month or every quarter on what's going on with the property, the financials. You get a deposit in your bank account monthly, quarterly, or whenever they make their uh, distributions. It's 100% passive. It's 100% hands off. So it's less money with less work. Who doesn't want that? It made all the sense to me. And if you are someone that's fortunate and you've got, let's say, 50000 100000 available and you're thinking, I'm going to go put this down on my next property. I'm going to buy a vacation home. I'm going to buy a multifamily home and I'm going to rent it out. Great. But what if I told you that same 50000 or or 100000 instead of buying one property, you could get involved in a dozen. You could get involved in 30. You can get involved in 50 deals with that same amount of money. How crazy is that? What would you rather have? One or 30? Yeah, how long will it take to see the residuals of that? It can be as soon as within a few months. Okay. Every deal is different. And we'll do a whole episode about this in the future and, and how I find those deals. But it doesn't take that long. And it doesn't have as much risk as you think if you align yourself with the right people, with the right management, that sort of thing. Folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. You can contact uh, Rob Weinberg very easily at 860-413-3938. And uh, check out his website uh, online, ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. I'll repeat that phone number, give an email address uh, in a moment. I'm Gary Byron. How have... You use mortgage refinancing and credit lines, let's say, to like optimize your investments and, and maximize your returns. Yeah, this is this is big. We've talked about it before, but let me talk in this episode about putting it into action. So refinancing, pulling equity out of the property, buying other properties. It sounds easy. It can be easy. It can be hard. It's all about who you work with and if they know the process and how to get you through it. We're talking about cash out refinancing, that sort of thing. So I actually use that specific strategy to buy an office building where my office is now. And what I did was I was able to take a line of credit against my other property and then use that line of credit to buy the office building in cash. So I didn't need a mortgage, was able to get a great deal, close quick, just a couple weeks, and it was really simple. So that's something that you can do along mortgage and credit lines. The other thing is get home equity lines of credit on properties to have liquidity available. Even if you don't need it right now, Get that when you can qualify for it. Get that when the property value is lucrative that allows you to get access to some of that equity. Um, that will put you in play when an opportunity comes up that you can stroke the check to make the down payment or buy in cash. So I definitely recommend that as a huge strategy right now. One thing to be aware of is that when we were talking about the housing crash, something that happened in 2007, eight mm -hmm. is that a lot of these lenders, they froze the home equity lines of credit. The property values went right. down so much, they froze you so you couldn't even get access to it. So just know that that could happen and you want to be diligent and careful because when that happens, it's like them shutting your bank account down. What advice would you give? I'm, I'm going to put it in, in, in a different, maybe in a, in a unique term. Somebody comes over to you and says, all right, look, you are, you're big time. I want to be a mini Rob Weinberg. How do I get started? What advice would you give to, let's say, like an up-and-coming new investor who doesn't have the money that 
you know, from the residuals from the investments that you've been doing for years and years and years. How do you get start to be like a mini Rob Weinberg? Yeah, so I would say to that, you know, get started now by your first home. Like, don't think about it. I think the the, the saying is you got to eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? So don't think about it as I'm building this big portfolio. Start with your first home. That's how I started. If I did it all over again, I'd probably be doing a multifamily home using an FHA loan. I'd want to find one that meets that criteria for FHA. That would be a low down payment, multiple streams of income from multiple tenants, and it'll get my foot in the door with that. So that's where really I I think I would start is that multifamily and getting that first home. The next thing is going to be collaborating with a mortgage advisor. Like, Don't wait until the last minute. Get with a mortgage advisor early. Get your game plan in place. Get your strategy in place because you may be right where you need to be or you may be six months, a year away from where you need to be. It would be a lot better to know where you are now so you can get where you need to go when you want to be there. You don't want to find the perfect property, then go to a mortgage advisor and find out you don't qualify. You're looking at something above your means. Your credit is too low, whatever the case may be, because I find most of the time with the right preparation, those issues can go away with a little bit of time and some proper some proper planning, you know, that sort of thing. Um, the other thing I would say is you want to be investing in sectors and uh, areas of the economy that are expected to do well, right? So if you're someone that's going to go right into these syndications and real estate crowdfunding stuff, you can invest in single family properties, fix and flips, rentals, that sort of thing through real estate crowdfunding. If you're going to go that route, though, make sure you're looking at areas of the market that are expected to do well. Like right now, I'm seeing great deals in hospitality, right? Like hotels are doing or they weren't doing well due to COVID. They're starting to come back. Hospitality travel starting to come back. Those deals are back on my radar. A year or two ago, I wasn't even thinking about investing in hospitality, retail, that sort of thing. Now there's some interesting things coming about in that in that part of the economy. Also, industrial is huge right now with the rise in e-commerce. Industrial properties are in huge demand right now. Uh, for the reason of e-commerce and these companies need places to store products and to get them deployed out into the market. So industrial deals are amazing. Well, an industrial deal can be multi, multi millions of dollars. I know right now real estate crowdfunding platforms where you can get involved in great industrial real estate deals with as little as ten or twenty thousand dollars. So nice. it's not a huge barrier to entry. Um, value add multifamily, you know, three, four unit, 20 unit, 50 unit, big apartment buildings where they're going to renovate and then be able to raise the rent. That's what we call value-add investing. Those are good right now. Um, everyone knows about short-term rentals, Airbnb, VRBO. I'm actually involved in a few of these crowd funds that specialize in short-term rentals. One in particular has over 100 Airbnb properties, and I only made one investment, and I got access to a portfolio of 100 properties that are professionally managed. I've never been to one. I've seen photos. <laughs> They're great. They're amazing. They have five-star ratings on the uh, online sites. I'm getting a piece of that rental income. Every single night that someone stays there, I'm getting a little piece of that, and I don't have to lift a finger. So that's amazing. The last one I want to say, and I saved it for last because it's controversial, is cannabis real estate. So there's huge opportunity in cannabis real estate. I've been investing in it for a couple of years. It's actually one of my best performing, if not the best performing sector in real estate that I've got in my portfolio right now. I'm talking about grow houses, industrial houses where they're actually cultivating the cannabis, distributing it, that sort of thing all over the country. So that's definitely one to keep your eye on. Listen, I'm running out of time, but I got, I'd got i be remiss if I didn't ask you this final question. And you're such an inspiration. What are your 
future plans for your real estate portfolio? Yeah, so I am just going to continue piggybacking on this real estate crowdfunding and syndication. I've been doing it now for so many years. It's proven itself. This is how I get involved in these huge deals with small amounts of money. So I don't plan on buying another single family home this year or next year. I don't even plan on buying multifamily right now. My future, maybe if I find the right deal, I'd like to get like a retirement or a vacation home down south for for the future, but I'm not doing it now. I'm waiting for the right time in the market to do that. That is a rental, I'm not just in, for you. Just for me. Okay. You know, that's it. But definitely concentrating on building out this portfolio more, the real estate crowdfunding, building that passive income. It's great to look in your bank account every month and have deposits, $20, $50, $80, $100, $200, $300, $100, $80. Just boom, 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 boom. It adds up to thousands of dollars a month. It all started with one investment of $5,000. Five thousand dollars led that to was that. My, that was my first real estate crowdfunding investment. Oh, oh right, obviously right. it's built to hundreds of thousands now, but sure. it all started with taking that risk when no one knew about this stuff and doing that first deal for five thousand dollars. If you would like to meet with Rob Weinberg, if you are looking for a uh, mortgage advisor, I strongly recommend you to write this phone number down. Give him a call this week. Eight six zero four one three three nine. I'll repeat that for you. 860-413-3938. Check them out online. Take check really take some time. Navigate your way through the website. It's ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. Once again, let me repeat that again. ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. Incidentally, if you would like to email Rob Weinberg, uh, whether it's for this show, maybe we can get your question answered right here on these very airwaves. Hey, maybe it's even soon as next week. Um, simply email us mortgage matters radio show at gmail.com. Again, it's mortgage matters radio show at gmail.com. If you thought of the question, I bet others would probably have thought of it as well. They could benefit from it. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for being so candid with us, Rob. I, these are questions that about you that I think like others, I wanted to know. I myself. wanted to share it. Uh, we appreciate that. We can learn from you. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. Until next Saturday, have a good one, everybody. So long. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.